Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony Slater, your host, and I'm here with Russell Case. I'm your co-host today. And our fabulous guest is Sharon Moon, who's been practicing yoga for a long, long time, started in the early 70s and has practiced different types of yoga and eventually brought Ashtanga yoga into the Austin scene, I think. Isn't that how you met? Sharon is one of my principal teachers in my life. (laughs) I uh, wandered into her class at 22 years of age. Sharon, do do you remember that? Yes, I do. I mean, I was the only Ashtanga teacher in town, except for the that person that didn't practice Ashtanga that used David's video to teach by. But for a long time, I was the only Ashtanga teacher in Austin. I yeah. did take her class over at Yoga Yoga with Guru Karan and, and Mitab. Right. And, and she even, like, she would talk about you in the class. Like, well, you know, we're going to do this. We're not crazy like Sharon Moon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But I, I was, um, I had just, uh, I had just moved to Austin. I was, uh, I'd been in school in Chicago and I'd learned some Ashtanga yoga there from Suda Weixler. And then I'd, I'd taken a year abroad to Korea and the, the girlfriend I had at the time, Tamara De Silva, we, we drove down from, from Chicago to Austin, Texas and uh, we were at Whole Foods, and I, I had no idea what a Whole Foods was. Um, but she, we were there, and uh, you could get like a, like a green drink and some tofu or something like that. And she showed me a poster. I said, and she said, Russ, look at this. And I looked at it, and it was, uh, it was you in Virabhadrasana on a lily pod. Lily pod. Right. Um, it's a, a, a lotus lotus pad? Lotus, well, yeah. was a, li- a lily pad. Lily pad garden and um a lotus garden rocks in the middle of a lotus garden and uh and it said batabi joyce and ashtanga yoga and i said oh this is the real thing i'm going to study with her and so we we walked into your class do you do you remember what that was what that was like when we walked in well i remember you being there i don't remember that first instance but i remember being a, well, one, I was impressed because you had this long, lean body, and I knew that that was really important and strong. And I was this short person with short limbs, and it was and a lot of muscle at the time. It was difficult, mm-hmm. but so that that impressed me. And Tamara was a big girl, so it was harder yeah. for her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was you. You mentioned that you said it was a it was a study in contrasts, right? And yeah. and I just want to add the Whole Foods thing. There was no, back then, Facebook, iPhones, Instagram, none of that. So I had to self-promote. So I would make these posters and flyers and put them in places I thought people who could do, wanted to do yoga would see them. Well, that was me. That's yeah. Sure. I mean, that's, yeah, just imagine how easy it would have been if I'd had Facebook and an iPhone and yeah. social media, all of that. But we didn't. Is it true that you that you learned Ashtanga Yoga at Whole Foods? Well, at the time, it was not the flagship that they have now on 6th six, six and Lamar. It was across the street at a smaller one. Mm-hmm. And there was space up above, and Ke- Pe- Ke- Peggy Kelly, the Iyengar teacher in town, rented space there. 
So mm. when David came to town, he David's, rented from David Swenson. Yeah. He rented space from her and did this introduction to Ashtanga and he did a demonstration and he get you know took us through a little bit and I said sign me up um because he talked about I think I'm going to do some classes here what he didn't say was he until later he told me he was thinking of opening a studio but he couldn't get anyone to do Ashtanga but just a few of us can you imagine what, what, was that what, when was that 19, 1994 1994 somewhere there and you took your first class Ashtanga yoga class and how did you even find out about it? I was no longer doing Taekwondo and I decided to focus on yoga. I wasn't part of the yoga scene if there was one. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just doing Tai Chi and I decided to take some classes from a woman named Karuna Nichols, who taught a very gentle yoga. Oh, and I she rented Karuna. she rented oh. space from uh, Peggy. So I took classes with her, not knowing about Ashtanga until I read Yoga Journal magazine, Duncan Wong on the cover, um, yeah. the article oh, about Ashtanga. Famous. I know. Yeah. Um, and and I said something to her about, really, I'm interested in Ashtanga. I think I might have to go to New York. And she said, oh, no, David Swenson's coming to Austin. And that's how I knew. And you have a long relationship. I mean, you've maintained your relationship with David ever since, right? Yes. I mean, I first met him in 1984 because we both studied the same uh, tradition of Taekwondo, but he was in Houston and I was in Austin. Really? But you he, met David in 84? Yeah, but he moved to Austin and came to our Shala, not Shala, Dojan. And mm. um, I just never connected with him with yoga. Um, he never talked about it. And when I met him again 10 years later, I knew he looked familiar, but I didn't know why. And one day, because he started teaching regular classes twice a week, mm-hmm. he showed up in a Chai Unru t-shirt, and that was our school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and that's when I knew. Um, so that was kind of fun. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so that's a connection. Yeah. Huh. I, had, I, had, I think that sounds familiar, but I had completely erased it from my memory for some reason. And... <laughs> So at this point, how old are you in in 94? Well, you could do the math. Um, mm-hmm. my, my late 40s, I guess, 46, I'd have to do the math. 46, 47, somewhere in there. 46, 47. And you started doing Ashtanga yoga and you were, you had been doing Taekwondo. How long have you been doing that? I did that for 12 years. And you were a black belt. Yeah. <laughs> I got hit by a car on my bicycle because I was also a cyclist. And so I couldn't do hard style martial arts. So that's when I started doing Tai Chi with a, a guy from China at UT University. Um, yeah. You came to yoga 20 years before that. Yes. What, what drew you to this kind of strange, <laughs> I would assume exotic sort of spiritual uh, quest? Yeah. Well, once I was in it, it was like, oh, this makes sense for my whole entire life. But um, I left an abusive marriage with a baby and someone I was working at the University of Texas and someone handed me a copy of Ram Dass's Be Here Now, Mm. which is the reason a lot of people my age got into yoga was Ram Dass and that book. Yeah. Um, And so I just read it from cover to cover 
and then started reading the books he recommended. And then someone gave me a copy of Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started, I got involved with Self-Realization Fellowship and joined that and did that for many years, did their lessons. They saw, they sent you lessons each week. And by then they were sending you lessons in the mail, I would assume. Yeah, lessons in the mail. And they had a meditation group in Austin. It was on someone's front porch that a little room had been made uh, from her house. And I joined there. Um, And then it moved to a nicer place once there were more people. But um, yeah, so that's, you know, what led me to it. And then... Uh, Swami Satchidananda came to Austin in the 70s, and I got to be with him then. And he came Personally. back. Again. Yeah. And then he came back again in the 80s, and I got to be with him then. Um, he came in the 70s thinking he'd open his space outside of Austin, oh, but wow. he chose he chose Virginia or somewhere because I probably would have, right. my life would have been different. I would have joined his ashram. Um, wow. But so I bought his book, Integral Yoga, and where he demonstrates all the postures. Mm-hmm. And that's how I taught. I just taught myself from his book when I was in my late 20s, how to do those asanas. Now, now wait a second. There's just, there's a lot of very different choices that you're making that are, <laughs> are a little wild. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to ask you, are you, are you from Austin? No. Um, my grandparents were from here. So I started visiting Austin in the 50s. Um, oh. I lived in New Orleans. Were you born? My, no, I was born in Los Angeles. <laughs> you were born in Los, you, you were born in LA. Yeah. And what did your folk, what did your folks do that you were born in LA? Uh, they got a divorce and uh, my mother and, and I went back to Arkansas where the whole family was from. Okay. So I was, a, I was a month old. I lived in LA for a month. What did your parents do at that time? They met at the University of Texas, so my mother quit school when she got married, and yeah. he was an he was an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so they divorced. You moved back to Arkansas, right? And did you do your schooling there? Some of it. She, my mother, remarried when I was nine months old, and so we traveled to different towns periodically for his work. So I okay. went to school in Texas and Arkansas, and then I went to college in St. Louis in Memphis and then the University of Texas. Yeah, I've been all over the place. Well, how'd you end up in New Orleans? Um, the abusive boyfriend, high school sweetheart I married was in school there. Okay. So I was in school in Memphis and so I got pregnant and I moved to New Orleans. We lived there for three years. It's the first time I'd ever really been a part of a big city. Um, because Saint, I mean, I was in a girls' school. You didn't go into the city, and I was in a dormitory in Memphis. You didn't go into the city. The different times, remember? Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you? This is a little sensitive, and I don't want to be um, awkward or anything. But <laughs> um, you had a you had a baby with this with this boyfriend that you had in high school. Mm-hmm. But it it wasn't your first pregnancy, was it? No, it was my third pregnancy. So um, what happened with the, with the other two? I guess it's, you know, I've never talked about it. It's politically correct to talk about it now. Um, I got pregnant when I was in high school. I was 17 and it was 1966. It was illegal to have an abortion. My parents, and I was just, I didn't know anything. And they took me to the mountains in Arkansas in the Ozarks. 
and I got a kitchen table abortion with refrigerator on one foot and stove beside the other foot and the dogs on running around underneath. And then being a teenager, I got pregnant three months later because my mother, yeah, because my mother, my mother didn't offer me anything about birth control. And we lived in a town of 2000 people. I couldn't go into the drugstore and ask for birth control, even if they had it, the whole town would have known. Yeah. Right. So I got, yeah. So then I had another abortion by that same person. And then was a year this, later, it yeah. was the same boyfriend, the one that went same, to yeah, Louisiana? Same. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because, yeah, because abusive people don't like to let you go, they like to yeah. control you. Um, so then I got pregnant a year later. I couldn't shake him. I couldn't, I wasn't strong enough. I didn't know anything. So I got pregnant a year later and he badgered me to get married and I did and we had the baby. Which... Now, you, can I ask you one more thing about your, your early family? You're, um, you don't see a lot of Jewish families in the South. No. And were you the only like Jewish, were you, was there a large Jewish community or there's just a few people around you? No, we lived in small towns that sometimes we were the only Jewish family. It was yeah. terrible. It was, it was awful. Um, I, 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 that's how I was raised as like the only Jews in the village. Yeah. And we were definitely weird. I just didn't know why we were as weird as we were. Yeah. But it was weird. Yeah. And as, I don't know about you, but as I got older, like we moved to Cleburne, Texas when, when I was in the fifth grade till I was a junior in high school. And mm-hmm. I was old enough to understand by then what was going on. I mean, I wasn't allowed to go to certain people's houses. I wasn't invited by certain people, things like that. Um, and then the treatment that I was just given, names I was called, that sort of thing. Yes, I mean, it was, think about it, the 50s. Um, so it was a different, it was, you know, a lot of prejudice. Yeah. 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 And so you end up in New Orleans and he's in school. I guess he's at like um, UNO or something like that. Or, yeah. And then um, you say, I got, what was the last straw for you that you said, I got to get out of this? I think I just was strong, starting to get strong enough to realize I can't keep doing this. And also he's going to kill me. Um, He's going to kill me. And I didn't, because I was, he isolated me. I didn't know anyone in New Orleans. And so my cousin was a CEO of a company and he got my husband a job. Not, I didn't tell him why I needed him to get him a job in Austin at a branch of the company. Mm-hmm. And because my grandparents were still alive and my brother and cousins were at the University of Texas. So I had support. Mm-hmm. So we weren't here very long before I left him because the final straw for that was he didn't just go after me, went after the baby. And oh, that was it. That was it. Smack the baby? Well, he tried. He didn't get very far with that one. And then, oh. yeah. So then, I mean, I don't know if this is relevant to anything other than the times and women getting stronger. But I, my grandmother put me in an apartment because we weren't. We had to wait a while because we weren't, um, we'd only been in this state for very long, not very long. So we had to wait until residency or whatever the word was they used. But mm-hmm. he came to get my baby, our baby, to visit 
and he started to get wound up. And anybody who knows about abusive people knows what's coming when they start to get wound up and manic. Mm -hmm. And I said, excuse me, just a second. And I went in the house because I wouldn't let him in the, the, the apartment. I went in the apartment, got my iron skillet, and I came back out and I said to him, you touch me and I will kill you. Good for you. Wow. And I meant it. And he never tried anything like that again. And then he just disappeared after about six months. He just disappeared. Wow. Never paid support, never saw his child, nothing. You never saw him again? No. Mm -mm. And you were pretty young when all this was happening. Yeah, I was 23. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so I, I just, I didn't know anything. Raised in a small town, not very, you know, smart parents. I didn't, I didn't know anything. He didn't contact us when my son was like, right before it was too late, seven, 16 or 17. He, I don't know how he got my number, but he called to brag about what a rich person he was. <laughs> and a big house he had, and he had a ski boat, jet ski, and you know, he never paid child support. So we struggled. I had to go back to school and get an education. I I dropped out of college. So we struggled um, and lived in awful places. And it just, he told me that twice. I'm a rich man. So, and then he said, you're not still trying to make me pay child support, are you? And I said, no. And I got off the phone and I had a friend who was in the child support division of the attorney general in, in Texas, in Austin. And I called her. She said, you find out where he lives and I'll go after him. Mm-hmm. So she did. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it made it easy because he was in Dallas, not some other state. Oh, so, right. Yeah. So he had to pay a lump sum. And then it was taken monthly out of his paycheck. He worked for Volkswagen. Garnished. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. he, you know, and the judge said, you know, Mr. McMullen, it's not about if you're going to pay. It's a matter of what you're going to pay. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, so yeah, he, and he did, of course, threaten me and all that. But at that point, you can't threaten me. No. Hmm. No. What? Do you see him in your son at all? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, he, He only knew him for three years of his life. And he's exactly like his father. He's bipolar, narcissistic personality disorder, dyslexic. He's not physically violent, although he's he bordered on it with me mm-hmm. and his wife. Um, so at this point, my son and I don't have much contact because there was a final straw with that too, a couple of years I- ago. I think you had punched, you had pu- broken his nose at one point. No, I punched him in the eye because he was on drugs and he was right in my face. And I said, if you don't back up, I'm going to hit you. And he was scaring me. And so I did. <laughs> wow. So, you know, uh, it takes, such no, no, you know, no wonder I got into martial arts and then yoga. <laughs> yeah. So I can see that, you know, that's always the, 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 for us, the, the thing about the show is talking to people is like, now when, when did everything really, when did the shit really hit the fan? You said, I, I got to do some yoga now. And that's, we have to, we, we like to dig into it a little bit. And it, yeah. and it yeah. it's, makes it much more clear and obvious what the choice was. That's right. Well, I got married again six years later 
And then were you he doing died. yoga? He, were you doing yoga at this point in the in the in the interim? Yes, but not not the asana so much. I didn't yeah. really have an asana practice. It was you all the other Ram Das. And I and, joined a self realization fellowship, and I did those exercises, and I got, you know, initiated into the his Yogananda Ji's Kriya Yoga, mm-hmm. and then um, my husband of one year died in a car wreck. Oh, my God. You, know, you that, saw that happen. Yes, I did. It's a head-on collision with a drunk driver. I was in a different car. Um, oh. And that's that was the thing that propelled me into movement. And not, you know, I bought a bike. I started running, playing tennis, swimming laps, which I was an athlete as a kid. So this just was an easy segue for me. Oh. And then yoga, you know. But why do you say that it propelled you? Because I was miserable. Um, I was lost. Here I had a husband abusive, and then I had a husband who died and didn't know what direction I was going in and where to go. And I cried for two years and had black eyes around and red hands and from stress. And, and finally, I just realized, and I can remember this moment, I said to myself, you're standing at a cliff and you can either go over or you can back up and live. And I chose to back up. And, Mm. and then I just went on with the yoga and, you know, and I had already become a vegetarian. So it all just sort of fell into place. And then the physical aspects of the postures just brought me peace. Mm. Gave me, it gave me a, a compass and an anchor and structure mm-hmm. in my life that I could trust. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what did it for me, something I could trust. And that elevated me with awareness. And then Ashtanga was like the cherry on the top of the ice cream cone. I mean, that was it. So you, were, you were cycling quite a lot and you were doing... Uh, you were doing Taekwondo, you're doing yoga. And then you, you said you got into a car accident. No, a bike. I was hit, by, I was on my bike and I got hit by a car. And it's kind his. of like a car accident. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't do hard style martial arts. I'd done some damage to my spine oh. and, um, and back bends. So I started doing Ashtanga yoga with David, not too, like a year or so later in I couldn't even do a back then, forget it. Mm-hmm. Um, David taught me all of second series, not the traditional way, mm-hmm. all of it. And I could not do, you know, Ustrasana, I couldn't go back, but maybe two inches. I remember, yeah. I, I couldn't do anything. And he taught it to me and it healed my back. He left and I to go travel again. And I did second series every day, uh, what I could. Mm-hmm. And after a year, I could do that bend sort of, and Ustrasen and those sorts of things, those three postures. And yeah, healed my back. Um, do you remember that we had a little small crew outside of Peggy Kelly's class where you taught Mm-hmm. And it was it was you and I and Jessica Stockholder, who became a, an Iyengar teacher, and right. another young man. Um, I think maybe his name was Brian, but I think maybe he had been Jessica's boyfriend at one point. Yeah, I don't remember. 
And then the four of us would just do second series together. And it was interesting because in, in hindsight, thinking about it, it was very similar to the lead class because in the lead class, it was full primary. Right. And we just did what we could do. And we didn't sweat about it if we could get our foot behind our head or not or grab right. our ankles and kapatasana. We right. just did the whole thing. And then we would meet together like on a, on a Sunday or something. And we would just do the like first and second all together and just mm-hmm. do what we could do. Yeah. And, and I continued that when I, when my classes got really large and yoga, yoga looked at me and went, wow, dollar signs. And yeah. they, op- they opened a studio in North Austin where I lived and hired me to come. They hired me to do teacher training. But that's before I convinced David to come back to Austin. I said, people are going to love you. They're not going to be mean to you like before. Mm-hmm. And uh, like a teacher, <laughs> they were rude. They were rude to him. Um, and he did not want to come back to Austin. I had to really push him. So I was at Yoga Yoga doing teacher training and teaching a full load of classes. And I started doing Sunday afternoon classes, but occasionally Yoga Yoga would let me do free Sunday afternoons where I practiced with everyone else. Yeah. But those Sunday afternoon classes were like the first time I did one, it, they had to turn away about 20 people. Because the wow. room only the room only held forty five people, and that yeah. was packed in. Um, yeah, and I think right around that time, I I had I had gone for a job, and I had claimed that I had got a teacher training from you. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I was I went to New York, and I wanted to teach at Brooklyn College. I wanted to teach yoga there, but I needed a teacher training, and I asked you for. Um, you know, like a paper saying that you would train me as a teacher. <laughs> do you remember? Did I, no, I don't. But did I give you one? No. <laughs> do, do, you, do you remember why? No. Because you said I was just fooling around with the practice. I was yes. playing with it. Can yes, you, you were. Can you, talk, can you talk about that? Yeah, because you, you were coming to my classes regularly and then you left for graduate school in New York. Mm-hmm. and you would come back to visit your mother and come to my classes. And you, like I said, you had this body that you had a gift that a lot of people in Ashtanga don't just get that you long and lean muscles and you're strong and you were just fooling around with stuff. You weren't really, you know, dedicated to Ashtanga in that way. And mm-hmm. I said, you need to go to New York, back to New York and you need to find Eddie. Mm-hmm. and you went but you didn't find eddie but you found guy mm-hmm. um, and that that was yeah because eddie didn't have a a page in the in the yellow pages yeah and so i went to guy's class and then yeah that was that was suddenly very different like that was a level of discipline that i wasn't familiar with like a right. really penetrating poses right. and going deep into them in a way that i had never you know, I, I would, tr- I would try a pose, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't subject myself mm-hmm. to a pose. And it was, it was, but I, I want to tell you, Sharon, what I loved about Guy was the same thing that I loved about you was that Guy was a, a drill sergeant and he was, he was a disciplinarian and there was something in him that was really strong and fierce right. the way that you are. But there was also like this other kind of sweetness that 
that he would hide away and that, you know, I could, I could get out of him, you know, I could make him giggle. And it was, that was the same thing with you. Like you, there was this other wonderful maternal thing, the sweetness, this, there's an aesthetic to the way that you, you run your house, that everything mm-hmm. is just right, but also beautiful and sweet. And it, it, I, do you recognize that in yourself, those, that polarity? I do. Um, I don't understand it, but I do. I mean, I like order and I like uh, discipline and I like to do the right thing as right as I knew at that point with Ashtanga because I hadn't studied with Guruji by then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know about Mysore classes yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, so I, and, and it's natural to love people and I, for me to love people, but I had a martial arts instructor who taught by shame oh. and humiliation. And I, when I started to teach yoga, I just knew that I was not going to teach by shame and humiliation. I was mm-hmm. going to be strict and firm, but loving. Because mm-hmm. um, that's a better way to learn something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know? and, and then aside from Guy, when anyone, any of my students would go to New York or say, can you recommend a teacher? I would recommend Guy, even though I'd never met him. Mm-hmm. So it got to the point where they would come back and say, Guy says to tell you hello. No. <laughs> so it, it was a small world, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I got to work with Guruji when he was uh, in Encinitas with Tim Miller. Mm-hmm. And um, and David was there, and that was fun. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, it was um, a lead class. And at that point... We weren't we weren't supposed to do going up into handstands from Navasana, right? Mm, yeah, which that was the I thing. could I couldn't do anyway. But yeah. it was you know two hundred people in this gymnasium, and David was the only one that went up into handstand from. Right. And I think Guruji gave him a hard time about it, but yeah. not too hard. And then I worked. I went to Maui a couple of times to work with Guruji when Nancy Gilgoff would have him come. Um, that, was, that was the thing. I came when I came out of your class in Texas, and I went to New York. Um, everybody there was like out of eddies. They were either eddy refugees or they were guys students, right. and they were all like loosey goosey women with massive backbends, all of them. Mm-hmm. And then I was handstand man, <laughs> and like look at me do handstands, like Keno McGregor, like look at me do handstands in the class. Like who's handstand man? Because that was what I learned from you right. and David was right. in between every vinyasa, you do Janashasana A, float up into a handstand, <laughs> do the Chaturanga, do Pancha, Shek, jump back, do Janashasana A on the right, on the, on the left side, and then float up into a handstand again. And so you'd end up doing the way that I learned it from you, like 50, 60 some odd handstands in the course of a lead primary yeah and you know and david these days of course he's had to change his teaching just like i did Mm -hmm. but he so he will say like in the zoom classes i took he will say to people this is what we used to do and this is what we do now yeah and i then i got where i would say you know the same thing you know if you want to do a handstand you can but we don't it's not really what we're supposed to do anymore handstands um, yeah just, I think it did. It hurt my back bend too, because my, my shoulders and upper back were so strong yeah. that I, I couldn't access 
anything above the 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 joint above, above the the sacrum right. I, there was like there was no real um what do you call it the lumbar thoracic joint right. that wasn't there everything mm. was super compressed in my chest and mm. the shoulders um it was i had to i had to rediscover like five new places to do back bends because it was it was um it was so important to what was going on in Mysore at that time. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, I think before the, the 2000s, you know, people were really interested in getting really strong in Ashtanga yoga. Right. right. And, and for me, I came into Ashtanga really strong from all the um, things I'd been doing, but I was also muscle bound and really tight. Mm -hmm. um, so there were a lot of things I couldn't do until I let go of some of the other um yeah i i want to now i want to ask you about a very difficult period in your life um uh -huh. you and i decided to go to mysore together on our first trip right and i came a little bit earlier than you and you came a little bit later but we organized it together i wonder um I remember that you had a really hard time, but I, w I wonder if you could tell our listeners that story about <laughs> finally getting to Mysore, how you got there and what happened when you did. Okay. So I'd been raising my grandkids and somewhat supporting my now former daughter-in-law. So that, and I was working full time for yoga yoga, but I just couldn't afford to go to Mysore as much as I wanted to. I couldn't. And so a student came up to me and handed me a blank check. And she said, I want you to go to Mysore. I want to invest in you rather than my portfolio. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I went for a month. Um, it was September. So a lot of people were already gone. So yeah. some people, I remember some people were like, why are you coming now? Everybody's leaving. Which yeah. to, to me was somewhat of a good thing um, mm -hmm. because it was already overwhelming to me. There was so much energy in the room and I'm really sensitive to egos and energy. And it was, it was not fun. And I thought about leaving. I thought about going to Bangalore. Um, and then I reminded myself that it wasn't about people in the room or me. It was about Guruji and the yoga. Mm -hmm. And then I found a way, I used some mantras to do my practice that went along with Ujjayi breath um, that helped me focus more mm -hmm. so that when I went back the second time, I knew what to expect. I knew what to do to make it a pleasant experience. It is a lot like a zoo. Yeah. You know, and you just want to watch the zoo animals. Yeah. It's and a room whole, full of Taipei people. Yeah. <laughs> and like the whole, like the, that drishti, the people that can hold on to their drishti in Mysore are are really super beings, because that's not something that I could ever really do. I don't think I ever really ever got a hold of it. I just watched people and did my practice. Right, <laughs> right. but were you you've been doing Mysore classes with um, Guy, hadn't you? Isn't that yeah, how he for teaches? years, for yeah. years I had. But like Mysore is, I mean, there are people next to me doing fifth series. Yeah. There, famous people there were famous yoga people on top of being famous other people being famous right you know natalie portman in the room you know like it was just so it was just so much to gawk at yeah and i i would sometimes i'd rationalize it like 
oh, I'm getting, I'm learning. I'm learning things <laughs> about how to do things. Um, but, I, you know, people that I really respected had no idea what was going on in the room. They were so focused on their practice. And I, and I believe that Sharat and Guruji knew that about them. They could tell who was focused and who was just spitting out. Yeah, I, I have to agree about that. You know, I want to say something because Harmony may not be aware of this, but I taught, and you know this, Russell, I taught lead classes. Um, mm -hmm. I, knew, I, I knew about Mysore classes, but I didn't really know how to teach them. So I shouldn't have been teaching Ashtanga, um, actually. Let me back up on that. I was new to the practice, but mm -hmm. David left and said, you teach. He made me yeah. take his, he made me take his teacher training, made me. Yeah. And uh, and then he left. And so you had that woman on South Lamar teaching Ashtanga from a video right. or whatever she's teaching. And then there was a woman who took two of David's classes, not even his teacher training, and went to Goals Gym and started teaching what she called power yoga right. and telling, telling people she was certified in Ashtanga by David Swenson. Yeah. <laughs> so one, David had to call her up and say, knock it off, stop telling people that. And I wanted to counter one. I loved the practice by then, but two, I wanted to counter what she was doing. I wanted mm. to offer not something called power yoga, but something called Ashtanga yoga. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but I taught lead classes and it, eventually at yoga yoga, I had to really work to push them to let me teach Mysore classes. And they gave me one a week. I think you can't teach Mysore once a week. Um, it does, the whole thing doesn't work that way. It That's has right. to be six days a week. Um, so that didn't go over very well. Um, so yeah, it was primarily led classes. I think now, before COVID, when they were still teaching there, um, they had a lot of uh, Mysore style classes because people now understood what it meant. Back right. then they revolted. They were like, I'm going to stop now. I paid full price for this. Yeah. Concert, and I have yeah. to stop now. I paid now. the same money as she did. <laughs> yeah. So people just didn't want to, and I have to come back in a week, can't come tomorrow. Right. Um, so none of that worked. And I've had arguments with people about this because I think my sore practice, my sore style is the way, the best way to practice Ashtanga. Yeah. I personally don't think it's the best way to learn Ashtanga. Oh, interesting. That because be, I find it harder for people because in a lead class, you, you learn the sequence. You feel comfortable with it. You don't have to think about it so much. You know, you get it memorized. Mm -hmm. You get explanations, at least in my classes, you got explanations about the breath and the drishtis and the locks. And, yeah, every you know, posture and the mechanics of it. Yeah, and options. Because I was trained by David, I gave options. That was another thing people didn't like about me, but yeah. um, who were really strict about it. But I gave options so that I felt like everybody should be able to do Ashtanga if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I had a woman come with a prosthetic leg, pros how do you say that word? Prosthe prosthetic right. leg once um, to Ashtanga. Um, mm -hmm. We just worked with it. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, there's that difference for me. Um, so I practiced on my own. I didn't have a teacher. David left. And whenever he would come back to do a workshop or whatever, I was renting space. Um, I didn't take it. I assisted him or what did whatever I needed to do. So I didn't have a teacher. So my source style was easy for me to transition into when I went to India. 
Um, yeah, you're used to self-practicing. Yeah, I, I became my own teacher. Um, yeah. no. you, you were teaching art full-time, is that right? I did. One of the things I did was when I went back, I went back to university a couple of times, and the last time was to get an art education teaching certificate mm -hmm. um, with the state of Texas. And so I taught at a middle school for two years, which was a disaster. It was mm -hmm. on the low socioeconomic um, minority children. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was just, I got tired of being threatened to be beat up and shot. So um, that didn't go very well. So I taught a year at a, an elementary school. Mm -hmm. And then I did go back, I, then I quit. And then I went back for a while and taught part-time it was part time, and you know, so your your income really then for a long time was teaching yoga and then teaching a little bit of and teaching art on the side. Yeah, and then I quit too soon, as my brother likes to remind me, because I didn't have I paid to teach for a while. A lot of us did that. We'd rent space yeah. in places, and with Ashtanga, I'd have two people that didn't cover right. rent. No, and so that went on for a couple of years until I figured out how to, you know, get it bigger. And we had the free day of yoga and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure how I got off onto that. But. Well, I, I was kind of leading you to also, you started teaching at the Texas School for the Blind for a long time. I did seven years. I did a, a class once a week and they were higher level. They, there were no biters and there were no uh, deaf and blind. Um, they were strictly blind and they were higher level. They all, there were a number of aides in the room, but the aides were so stressed. They just wanted to do the yoga too. They didn't want to help the kids. Um, AIDS, yeah. And so and how, it was, what? How do you think that informed your whole teaching style? Well, I would go straight from there, that class, to teach at Yoga Yoga, to mm -hmm. teach adults, full primary. And it, when it, it had, I gave, it gave me a different perspective on teaching both groups. Um, it made me more patient, but it also had me expect more from the sighted people. Um, oh. I, I didn't want any excuses. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to admit that, yeah. um, but I, I hadn't really thought about that in a while, but it's true. Um, you work with these blind kids and they will do whatever you ask them to do. Um, and without, well, some of them would complain, but, um, <laughs> cause they were kids, mm -hmm. but, um, it's a great experience. They're tactile. So I would massage their necks at the end with that oil I used to use. Oh, and you always they, did they loved that. And yeah. I brought in, I brought in Guru Karm from Yoga Yoga with her gong. They loved that. Um, and I brought in someone who played the topless and the flute. He let them all play the topless. And I brought in a full band, drums, the whole thing. Wow. Um, and, and they let them play around after the yoga with the instruments. And they were, and when I would say um, harmony, when I end my classes, I don't just say goodbye, thank you for being here. I make a circle. Um, yeah, this is nice. And, and then I hand a word bag around, which and I always explain has nothing to do with yoga. And please don't go to Guruji and say, where's the word bag? Um, <laughs> and you pull so that, the word out and the word of the day is like compassion or um, uh, love. love. And then we'd all just like, we take the sweat on our forehead and we just put the word on our forehead. No. 
Not everybody did that. Um, but um, some people did interesting things with their words. There was one person had a notebook and she kept them in a plastic sleeve. One person kept them in a jar and gave me the jar when I quit teaching. One person glued them onto a glass um, jewelry container and gave that to mm-hmm. me when she moved to England. Um, it just, you know, you just, you never know. But um, mm-hmm. the kids, when I would say make a circle, um, they kind of thought, not thought, but wanted to, everyone wanted to touch me. They oh. got as close in as they could in the circle, whereas adults make a circle. Um, yeah. Whereas the kids wanted to get in really close because I would read some story to them afterwards. Um, Kid oriented, where I did also in, read things in the adult classes too. Um, but I always tried to explain that those were my things. They were not uh, Ashtanga things. Um, and I guess that's the nurturing part, Russell. Yeah, that's the, right. Is the Because I would massage people. Um, and after a while, I had too many students. I couldn't go around and do that. So I had to only massage the people I knew were having issues, emotional or physical. I would oh. get to that them. explains why I always got a massage. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> what? So you you've helped me a, a lot in my life, um, a couple of times, and I tried to 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 return the favor to you. And we can talk about that in, in a minute. Uh, a couple of times, you have got me a, a job mm-hmm. that I really needed. Uh, I remember the first time we were in Mysore together, and you got me a job in England, and I'd mm-hmm. never been to England before, um, but I was trying to date somebody that was there. And then you just got me this gig. And I ended up teaching my, my first job. And I ended up teaching Ashtanga Yoga in England. Right. In, in Brighton. Brighton. Yeah. At the, at the, I forget the name of that. Because Manju taught there too. And Derek Island, Ireland. And what was his wife's name? Uh, um, Christina. Christina taught there. So they had a different way of doing Ashtanga. But I went for a month. And then I don't know how long you came. But how did Louis, you get that job in the first Louise, place? Louise Ellis was there. Oh, yeah. Louise Ellis came. Yeah. Um, well, back in that day, those days, people advertised on different websites. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for jobs, not just Ashtanga, but any yoga jobs. And I just applied to a lot of them. <laughs> and I did. I applied to a lot of them. And that was one of the ones. You know, David's the one who got me into Skiros Island uh, at yeah. uh, the Healing Retreat Center. Which was but also Christina Ireland's place, was it? Derek went there. Christina yeah. didn't. Um, oh, okay. Derek did. And so did, um, what was that guy from England? He, uh, John, John Scott? John, yeah, he was the handyman there yeah. when... And that's where David met those people. Um, okay. Yeah, because they were they were all there at one point. There were, there are a lot of stories about Derek. In fact, when the, when I first got there, there's a library, and there were photos of Derek everywhere because he was had passed away by then. Right. Um, so, I remember yeah. uh, Hamish Hendry was a cook there. Really? Wow. wow. Yeah. I didn't know and that I, part. I, I I remember one time in Mysore. Because you're not, as people can probably tell, you're not Scottish. And you had said at a party, you said, oh, yeah, Hamish. Oh, right. God. And I remember uh, <laughs> I remember this one violinist lady who was a professional violinist who was Hamish's student. She looked up 
And I was just like, oh, I could just see the mortification in your eyes. As, well, you realize, I, as she rolled her eyes. Right. <laughs> I, you know, make mistakes like that. That's yeah. Fine. It doesn't matter at this point. When you reach my age, you don't care anymore. Um, <laughs> well, how did you then, did you get the job in Taiwan the same way? Yes, I did. Um, just applied was, to it. I did. It was on this website. And, and so first I applied to one that was in Shanghai. And okay, yeah. and he calls in the middle of the night, not taking into in consideration of the time difference. He called in the middle yeah. of the night, woke me up and said, you get the job. I need you here in a week. Yeah. Wow. And, and here I am with a full house and, yeah. um, you know, everything uh, in a you know teaching job. And and I just didn't want it. And I was hoping I'd already applied to space in Taiwan, in mm-hmm. Taipei. And I was hoping to get that, and I did. Yeah. So Duncan Wong went to that job in Shanghai. Right. Oh, yeah, that's where he wow! Was when I met yeah, and and Matthew at Space, he made a point of calling when it was convenient for me, not the middle yeah. of the night. Matthew and Allison, or as we called him, Masho Laoban. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Um, and he was. He said, "Take your time. I'll give you X amount of months. I forget to." get rid of all your possessions and, <coughs> and come to Taipei. And David wanted me to go visit. He said, you're just going to go to a place, people you don't know, a studio you don't know. And David hadn't been to Taipei at that point. Right. And I said, I can't afford to do that. I'm just going. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing yeah. you, that you, you, so often you would work with David or talk to David about what you were doing and he would inform or, or chime in on what you were doing. Yes, and, and this is a good time for me to say that I could do it at the end, but I want to do it now, and that David has been instrumental in changing my life um, from that first moment of when I met him in that workshop that he offered to show us Ashtanga and then pushing me into teacher training. Um, he's just f- flowed in and out of my life. He, he, he has honor and integrity and loyalty that most people don't contain. Mm-hmm. I, I think my brother would be the only other person that I would say I'd lay down my life for. Mm-hmm. David Swenson's one of those. That's how much I love him. Um, you can't really describe why. It just, you know it. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's an amazing person. Um, yeah. And a fascinating teacher. He could teach. I used to promote his workshops when he was coming to Yoga Yoga by telling people he could teach a workshop on knitting and <laughs> you would be able to knit a sweater by the end of the class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a teacher's teacher. Um, so, um, yeah. So there, I just want to put that in. But yeah, I went to Taiwan, sight unseen. And what's that fireman that got burned in New York? What oh, was James. his name? He was supposed to come. Oh, he was? Um, yeah, he was supposed to be the authorized teacher because I wasn't authorized. Oh, wow. He was yeah. supposed to come, and then he got a thing with replacing Noah or doing something with Noah. I can't remember. Yeah. And That's so he didn't come. LA. He mm-hmm. went to L.A. instead. Yeah. And so I convinced, I remember calling you up and saying, we were Skyping. I don't know what it was, but I said yeah. to you, because um, I wanted you to come. And I talked yeah. to Matthew about you and your wife at the time. Mm-hmm. And 
What was I said to, I'm sorry. I, I said to you, it wasn't harmony. I said to you, um, when have you known me to save money? And you said, I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. That's right. That's and so right. I got you both jobs. Um, yeah. And um, so it was fun for me to have y'all there. Um, but there were other Americans and there were, there was Natalie from South Africa, who's now a Ashtanga uh, teacher. And, and the redheaded lady from Toronto. Emma O'Neill. Oh. Emma O'Neill was teaching there. Oh, yeah, I forgot about her. Yeah. And then there's I, the other, there was another woman who lived near me out in the suburbs that was only there for six months, and she was from Canada. I forget where. She started Greenleaf or New Leaf. She started this nonprofit working with kids in the prison system when she went oh, on. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was very successful. What, I what I remember about it, especially when you and I were both there those early days, it was less so three years later, but in those first, with all those other Americans there, everyone was kind of vying for importance. Right. I remember it was a viper's nest of intrigue. <laughs> and I am not proud of some of the things that I did. No, me either. Um, I felt like I said things behind people's back. Uh, people were always asking me who I was supporting and who I, who I was against. Right. And it was, it, I, I was a bad scene. I think you and I actually might've had some bad feelings towards the end of your trip. I don't know if you remember that. I do, because I, I misbehaved too, out of character for me. Um, and I, don't, I can't tell you why. I think, and maybe you'll appreciate this when you get older, is that how I see my life now is sort of paying, not paying, but making repairs on all the mistakes I feel like I've made. Um, mm-hmm. The things I've said and done and thought in my life. I want to... Um, atone for those and move on um, because it just makes an easier exit, I think. Yeah. Well, one of the ways that I wanted to do that was to get you a job because you had helped me so much and I'd felt bad about how things ended in Taiwan that we were intriguing against each other or, you know, different things. And I, I called you up and I said, um, would you come and, and live in, and live and work in Africa for a year by yourself. I remember, and I said yes without <laughs> hesitation, of course. <laughs> so tell us about that. How does a great grandmother, living and working in Austin, Texas, just pick up and go to to Kenya to Nairobi and teach yoga? Well, um, well, let me just remind you that. There were two other people, two young people, who were also interviewing. At least you told me they were interviewing for that position. Mm -hmm. And you gave me the amount of money that I was going to be paid. And it was really good. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And then you came back and said, well, they've changed their mind. This was the Joyce Foundation that you you worked for. So you were basically my boss. And I um, said, you know, so it was Gene Ruffin and his wife, Salima Ruffin, were yeah. in charge. Salima Ruffin's sister, Gina Din and Jasmine, they were kind of like, they had an idea of who they wanted. And so well, I was, it was black. Gina Din, Jasmine didn't care. Gina was on the board, is on the board of Africa Yoga Project, who okay. 
the Joyce Foundation gave the grant to. Gina That's was right. on the board. She and Paige are the founder of AYP are best buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So somewhere along the way, somebody said, no, you can't pay her that much. Mm-hmm. And someone decided I should make what the, I remember this, someone decided I should make what the teachers at Africa Yoga Project were making, which was mm-hmm. equivalent of about $1.25 a month. Um, right. or something ridiculous like that. And so I said to you, you know what? There's two young people who have applied for this job as well. Yeah. They don't have any experience, but they're young. They'll see it as an adventure. Hire right. one of them because I'm not going for $1.25 a month. That's right. And you hired me. Well, Gene hired me. You flew me out to California because you Gene and he yeah. loved you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, we got along. Um, I remember sitting with Gina and Gene at a at a table because all the way that Gene did business was over the dinner table. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we made any kind of tactical decision or whenever we had to defend any decision or argue for any decision, if you couldn't argue it in two sentences over dinner, then you've already lost. <laughs> And so Gina said um, uh, something about this other young person being better because they'd have more energy. Right. And I said, yeah, but they don't have Sharon's heart. Mm. Sharon is actually going to care about these people. Right. Yeah, they didn't want an older person. Um, That's right. And sure. so and then I, yeah. Gene liked that answer in two sentences. And he said, yeah, okay, we're going with Sharon. And Aww. then we all... We all got on an airplane. Yes. <laughs> we all flew first class. To yeah. Ridiculous. And I didn't know what was go- going on. We stayed in a fancy hotel. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then and someone dropped the ball in Kenya. I guess That's right. I don't know who it was. It was. Supposed to find me housing and get right. me set up with everything. No one did. So no one did. Y'all, we had to spend the weekend trying to figure out what to do. Well, yeah, you left. You went to uh, Gina Din. Gina, is that her last name? Gina Din. Yeah, that's her. You went to her. You went to her house because y'all were all going to go back to California. Yeah. And I had a return ticket, and here I'm sitting in a fancy hotel. I don't know anything about anything in Kenya. I don't know the customs. I don't have a home. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And I got a taxi to where you were, (laughs) and I went in and I said, "I'm packed, and I have a round trip ticket." And I'm going home with you because right. there's nothing happening here for That's me. Right. And I don't, I don't think you even understood that. So Gina got her assistant to right. help me and Paige and also helped. Yeah. The assistant was really not very focused on getting you a house. No, Paige, Paige is the one who did it. Yeah. Um, Paige took me to a couple of places and then I settled on one. But um, yeah. One thing that I remember... Um, Somebody who was in who was very high up politically um, went to a demonstration that we that you and I gave in front of like a thousand school kids and all of the people that were going to be involved in the Shanga Yoga Project, the Africa Yoga Project. And he said, This is the smartest thing that I saw that day. Is that ostensibly like you should have gone up and and done a, a demonstration of ashtanga yoga on stage to show everybody what it was about hmm. but what we did instead is i was wearing a suit <laughs> and you were on stage and you called me up 
Mm, and then you taught me Ashtanga yoga while I was in my suit. I remember. Yeah. I don't remember the suit, but I remember doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I remember taking the jacket off with, and I still had the tie and you telling me to put my foot behind my head and stand up. Right. And you were calling out the numbers, calling out the postures, calling out the thing. And it had made such a huge impression. I remember like the crowd was just like, overwhelmed like you know how like when you win a crowd right and they were just like whoa like you could feel yeah. the air just in the room yeah elevate yeah and uh it Gina was Dan probably wished that you were staying to be the teacher um <laughs> not, you not were me. teaching me and that's what was cool about it I know but I I did have to prove myself to them I don't know if you know that but Gina had me come out and teach her a class in her yoga room. She would oh, have, wow. she had people come from Africa Yoga Project, those teachers to work with her. She wanted to see what I was about. And just, I think- Just so people know, uh, Gina was Bishop Tutu's uh, public relations officer. She was Nelson Mandela's public relations, relations yeah. officer at one point. Many of the heads of states throughout Africa used Gina for public, for public relations. Right. And she was a, a fixer. She was a big deal. She was yeah. the fixer yeah. in Africa and always yeah. flew private jet wherever she went. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it was Yasmin, the sister that wasn't involved in yoga at all. Yasmin is the one that I became friends with. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember how that happened, but I would house sit for her when she would come to the States to see her other sister. Um, mm -hmm. uh, well, she, she was just cat. lovely. She was a lovely, yeah. lovely yeah. lady. And the two of you matched. And we were closer to age, yeah. Yeah. Whereas Gina was had too much, too many barriers to be able to have a you know a relationship. Yeah. I know that there was at one time I was invited to a dinner. I mean, now I would do things differently if I were to do it now and knowing things. I would just say no. I uh, can't, I'm not coming. Uh, but I went thinking I was supposed to or had to. And she would have these people high up. Well, there was one time a guy was going to run for president of, yeah. of Kenya. Um, yeah. And they weren't very nice to me. Um, and she would have some of the younger teachers, the Americans that were at AYP for certain mm -hmm. amounts of time. She would invite them too. And so those guests just sort of ignored me and were really nice to the young people. Right. It was, it was, it was interesting. Um mm. It's very interesting, but um, so what were your days like when you were teaching the kids in Kenya? Were you would you teach well, many classes or just one? Well, I didn't. I wasn't actually there to teach the kids. My job was to, and this is how it worked. I remember Russell, you and I sat down in the hotel because we didn't know what we were doing right. and just made it up. I went in and out of 55 people that they brought in, because everybody wants a job in Kenya, the unemployment rate's like 85% or something. So there were some people who had been doing yoga and some just wanted a job. And there were like only three people who'd done Ashtanga. Mm -hmm. And so I had 55 people for two weeks. And out of that 55 people, I had to pick 20. And these were young adults from the slum settlements. Mm -hmm. And so then I had 20, I had those for a week, I believe it was, and I had to pick 10 hearing and four deaf. And those were the teachers that were hired by the Joyce Foundation yeah. through Africa Yoga Project that then went back out, had to find schools and orphanages and um, special places to do, to teach classes. 
And wow. it was a large number because we had 14 teachers. There were a huge amount of kids they were addressing. Um, and so my job at that point after, because I took two weeks to do a teacher training with them, four hours a day. Mm-hmm. And then my job at that point was, I t- Paige let me teach open classes, paying classes at the center, her yoga center. But other than that, I went out to watch the teachers. I would go try to go on their first days to tweak things and see who was doing what and what needed to happen. I mean, I never thought, Harmony, that I would have to say to someone, listen, if you're going to smoke it, do it after the class, not before the class. (laughs) Because he was forgetting everything and he didn't know. (laughs) Eventually, I had to actually fire him. But, um, But yeah, so I had to do that I showed up at the special school and there were 200 kids in that first 200 in that first class deaf uh down syndrome spina bifida kids in wheelchairs uh cerebral palsy and so my job was to break that up to pull in the teachers from the team and say you're going to take this group and this group and move them places. I mean, oftentimes we had to do yoga outside. Yeah. And we didn't have mats. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing. Paige was fine. I was like, they can be on concrete or dirt floors in the schools. The schools had dirt, 10 schools had, 10 room schools had dirt floors most of the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I found that you could take the black, it was mostly black rubber pieces that the sandals are made out of in Kenya. They have sheets of them, and you could put, depending on the age, you could put three or four kids on one sheet. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and so I would buy rolls of those um, and then oftentimes leave them at, at the school. Sometimes they disappear. But so at one point, I bought so many rolls from the slum uh, shopping center that the person making sandals said, are you making sandals? What are you doing with all that rubber? <laughs> so the Joyce Foundation did have um, Yasmin's son. I forget his name. He was a big deal in the radio thing. Yeah. Farood, Farid, something. I remember that. Had him get mats made out of tires. Mm-hmm. And the smell was really strong. And use... Kenyan blanket material for the tops. They were quite pretty, but we only got not very many. And they were very expensive. And it just really upset me because here are all these kids who don't have mats. And all of a sudden, they were in my apartment. Can you imagine the smell in a small apartment with all that rubber? I finally got my driver to get them all. So the Shine Center is what they called it at that point, AYP. And then what was I going to do with them? So I did give a bunch of them to that first school that I took Manju to. And then I was left with still enough to give away to all the, I hope no one's listening to this that shouldn't be listening. I gave the rest, I gave the rest of them away to the AYP teachers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I just, before we, I want to talk to you, I want to ask you about Manju, but I just want to say that for me, this is my first, you know, real job. And working with Gene was really important to me. And then we just barely get the apartment thing worked out. And then we just fly away. And I remember that was so terrifying to me that I'd just taken one of my oldest, dearest, (laughs) best friends 
and just left her in chaos. Yeah. Well, actually, then, I didn't have an apartment yet. You left and you, I, was, you still, I was still in the hotel. Yeah. And then we go home. And then for me, most of my of that following year was every day on email trying to help you with a problem. Yeah, I would email you every day with what every happened day. during the day. And I would have to, I would try and work out what the problem was and who could I speak to to fix it. Yeah. And I had to I, do that from California. Yeah. It, it was, was just nuts. It became normal. I mean, for me, <laughs> yeah. I don't work well until I have a home base. So I think that people thought I was, they were gotten a real dud for this job. Because I was disoriented. I didn't have a home yet. I didn't know how you pay electric bills and where you go shopping. I didn't know anything, mm-hmm. nothing, zip. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I had an apartment and I started the training, I just, it, it all clicked in place. Um, but yeah, they, people really thought I was, I was not going to work out. And I guess a lot of people didn't want me to. But the, the week I started at AYP, Paige left to go to New York to have her baby. Yeah. So I didn't have a support system because her partner at the time was supposed to be my support system. Meet me at the studio, unlock it, and, you know, be support for me, whatever I needed, because I didn't know where to get anything. Yeah. And he disappeared. Mm. (laughs) Oh, Billy, who was Paige's uh, boyfriend, husband. Yeah, not anymore, but yeah. Yeah. Um, He disappeared. and so the people in the office didn't trust me and the other teachers didn't trust me. It took me a while to figure that out. Mm-hmm. They, they just didn't trust why I was there and who I was and was I going to be a threat to them and what they yeah. were doing. That was and Paige's message from the top. And she I, made that really yeah. clear to me. Yeah, I got trust that. The Joyce Foundation what she said what she was most worried about is that the Joyce would come, Foundation would come in, put a teacher in there, and then there'd be a, um, uh, an article on the front page of the New York Times, Joyce Foundation saves Kenya with yoga. Yeah, no. That's it, what she it, was most terrified of. I know, I know. And I get that. She's put a, her life's blood into that place. But yeah. but what happened was that over time, they realized I wasn't an ogre. I, they gave me Felix. Thank goodness for Felix. He was one of the ones who did Ashtanga and he became my assistant. The AYP appointed him as my assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he knew where I could get copies made and that sort of thing. And there were a couple of people in the office who also were willing to help me because no one really wanted to help me do anything. Um, I had to really, really push. So over time, they figured out that I didn't want to just support the Joyce teachers. I wanted to support the AYP teachers. Yeah. Um, I was there. I attended every week. I attended a teacher's meeting that was for AYP. And now my guys are part of that. I felt like I should go there. And I'm the community class on Saturdays. My guys were required to be there with mm-hmm. 200 students from around Kent, Nairobi. Um, and so I went to support not only them, but all of AYP teachers. So once they figured that out and I started to, Paige gave me some freedom to set up some programs that helped her and her people. Um, they were welcoming and warm. Um, and yeah. And so at a certain point towards the end, I think Manju came to visit. No, Manju came in October. I got there. Oh, what? a month later. Yeah. I, my people started teaching in September. 
And mind you, came in October. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm supposed to take him to observe someone. (laughs) So I and in the slums, he's and he came with his wife, Nancy, and his daughter, Satu, who was 12 at the time. So I took him to, you know, one of those first standout teachers, Eric. And the school was called the Bridge of Success. I forget the settlement it was in, but it was on the edge of the settlement. So we could drive right up to it. They didn't have to walk through a slum settlement to get mm-hmm. to the school, mm-hmm. which was also important. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and Nancy had, was a school teacher. So she brought all these boxes of books for the kids. Mm-hmm. And so that we needed to carry those in. And Eric, and, and that's where we took the Joyce mat. So it looked really nice. And plus the kids were practicing on gravel inside the school. Um, mm-hmm. And so there were kids. Eric was working with kids three years old to about eight or nine and um, doing yoga. Wow. And he was, I didn't, he was so smart. He invited Manju, we introduced him, and then he invited Manju to lead off the first sun salutation. Okay. Oh, which, which was, Manju loved it. Um, yeah. And so at the end, um, Nancy gave out her books and it was, it was beautiful. And then I took them to lunch at this place that Yasmin had told me about. And Manju sat there. I remember just bursting into tears. Manju sat there and he said, I'm really impressed with what you are doing and I'm going to authorize you. I I didn't know he did that. Apparently you had to be with him for 10 years, which I had already by then, but I didn't know he did that. Um, I mean, it's, it's different from what Guruji did and what Sharat does, but still, what an honor. Um, yeah. And That's, so, and he, yeah, turned to Nancy and said, make sure this paperwork gets done. That's <laughs> incredible. And it's really, like, for me, that's the story of the trip, is that Manju came and saw what you did in spite of all of the, the massive uh, problems we were having, getting the whole thing going. <laughs> And then he'd come and gave you all, gave you his blessing to teach based yeah. on what he'd seen. And I, I thought that was just the most amazing thing I'd ever heard of. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful for me. And then one of those days, I took him back to the Shine Center so he could teach a class. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and but I hired, because a lot of those people are dancers and they're acrobats. And so I hired a, a team of acrobats to do a demonstration for him. Oh, oh cool. I know. It was... <laughs> Just, just fantastic. They loved Manju. And the deaf people gave him his uh, sign name, which was three fingers, because they'd seen a picture of Guruji, I guess. Three, mm. peach, three fingers across the forehead. That was oh. Manju's name. That means Manju in sign language now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. <laughs> oh, I love that. But they, oh, they just adored him and they wanted him to come back. And, and of course, I talked about David a lot and they really wanted David to come. And mm-hmm. um, that didn't happen. But after Manju left, Sharat wanted to come. Yeah, right. he was. Yeah, I remember he had heard about it. He said, I want to yeah. come. Yeah. And he saw pictures because um, Sonia Tudor Jones took a group of people, Yasmin being one, Gina being one, I think it was. To Mysore, yeah, uh, right. with Salima, with Salima, and they showed him pictures. Yeah, and he wanted to come. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. very special to him. Yeah, I know. Which, what? 
So do you have other questions for me? Well, I, I feel like we kind of probably should should wrap up a little bit. I just, I know you so well. There's so many things I could talk about and say, but I think just to finish up, I just wanted to know if you could. You're a great grandmother, and I just wanted to know if you could if you could tell us a little bit about how how your grandkids are doing. Well, the two that I pretty much almost raised uh, are adults now. One has she has two kids, yeah. and the one that's the light of my life is um, mm-hmm. going to medical schools. I hope yeah. uh, next, next fall. He's in the ER at St. David's Hospital um, for mm-hmm. the last three years. Um, his girlfriend's a nurse. He is dedicated to it. He is also the reason that I didn't return to Kenya. Um, I came home since the Joyce Foundation didn't want to do the grant again. I came home thinking I would set up a nonprofit. I talked to my brother. He'd given me a name of an accountant because he said, I don't want you to go back to Kenya. I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me the name of someone to work with. Um, And then my grandson, two days after I got home, needed help. He asked to be rescued. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So I got him through the last two years of high school out of his home that he was in, Mm -hmm. his last two years of high school, and then into college, and then now hopefully into medical school so i just think that's amazing because he's now older than i was when you met me yeah yeah i just think that's amazing yeah he's an amazing young man he did do a shango with me for a while um um you know when he was all 10 you know how they are gumby things yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um but yeah um he is an amazing young man and so my granddaughter has two kids, so I'm now a great grandmother to an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. So I don't see them. I can tell you, if I lived where they live, I live an hour away. If mm. I lived where they lived, I'd be helping to raise those two as well. Yeah. But I'm done. Um, <laughs> so I live an hour away, and I think I did that on purpose. But um, <laughs> so I help. You know, in fact, I got a, a phone call from the eight-year-old last night saying, Grandma Moon, they call me Grandma Moon. Um, I miss you. When are you going to come visit? Oh. So what are you going to do with that? Um, yeah, you got to go visit. Yeah. So I'm going to visit. But yeah, so I do what I can with them. I got them into a private school through a lottery. So kindergarten through 12th grade, they're in a classical education system. Wow. Yeah. Um, like learning Latin. Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, they're a big part of my world. But now I have that second career of painting. Yeah. Yeah, you're an artist. Yeah. I mean, I never was, really. It's just all what I always wanted to do my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I had a good teacher, a good oil painting teacher, um, when I came home from Kenya. And... Now I'm painting and selling and not, I don't paint, I don't paint to sell, but I had a solo show last year and a hundred people showed up. Most of them, the gallery owners are like, we never had this many people for a solo show. Most of them were my students from Austin, of course. Yeah. um, Cause I know how to self promote, but, um, (laughs) but we sold and they'd never sold this many in a solo show. I sold 13 pieces that night and one other piece before it ended. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. And now I sell, but I paint to paint because it's what it, I'm called to do. Um, it's 
like yoga. It's what I'm called to do. It's the place I go to feel peaceful Mm. and the world melts away. Um, Yeah. If there were, if there were people out there who were listening and they wanted to find you and work with you with yoga or painting, how, how could they do that, Sharon? Through my website, Mm moonyoga.com. They can phone or email me from that website. And uh, there's also a link for Kenya so they can see a more of an explanation of what I did there and photos of the children mm-hmm. um, from the classes. But yeah, so they can reach me through there, um, the website. Okay. And also people, people I don't even know sometimes will contact me off my website to ask for help with issues. Uh, okay. You know, cause that's part, that was part of teaching for me. My shingle said yoga teacher, but the best part of teaching for me was trying to help people figure out their lives, young people figure out their lives. Well, you certainly did that for me <laughs> and you changed my life. And, you know, you telling me that I needed to go to a Mysore class, um, you telling me to come to Taiwan, uh, get that job. I mean, there's so many steps along the way for me where you were, um, you were principal advisor for me and someone that I could like count on as a kind of mm-hmm. doting, loving maternal figure. And I know I like to collect those, but I, I just, <laughs> I just have always been grateful. And I'm, I, I know that since I've, I've, since my recent divorce, I've, um, I've been a little bit on the down low. Um, Cause I was, I was a little bit embarrassed about that. But I'm, I really wanted to introduce you to Harmony, and, and I'm, yeah. thank you. And I'm the one who reached out to you because I wanted to make sure you understood that I don't sit in judgment of anyone. How could I afford to do that? Um, that you were still part of my heart, um, which I don't generally throw people out. Um, so, yeah, I'm grateful for you for all the support um, and sending me to Kenya, which was the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my whole life, except for raising my grandkids mm-hmm. um, and for belie- believing in me enough to, um, to want me to be there. Yeah. yeah. It's Thank so you. wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you, Harmony. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a heart